0: All right, let's go. It's a good Sunday. Mm. Oh, We're wrapping up our series this morning on identity. And uh, I'm just blown away by what the Lord has done and revealed in this series. If you have missed any of the uh, um, Sundays where we've been talking about this, I really do encourage you to go back on our website. You can go under the watch tab at beacheschapel.com and click on the identity tab and it'll give you all of the sermons from this series. But today we're wrapping it up. And as we do so, we're going to continue the conversation about who am I, right? This is who am I part two. And here, here's the thing about walking with the Lord that, that we, we always kind of need to be aware of. And really, I believe we fight a lot. And if, if you look at God, and this is, this is an oversimplification, and truthfully, anytime we talk about the Lord, out of our understanding, it's an oversimplification, right? Because God is just so big. But, but in a, in a even more shrunken down way, we, we need to look at God in two parts, as part of a, um, a seesaw, right? Or a truth scale where we on one side, we have grace, right? And God is, he, Jesus is, is grace and his whole existence in his walk on the earth and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection was all about grace, right? He was our sacrifice. He took our place. And so that is one side of the scale. But on the other side, to balance out the grace and to understand why last week's sermon, why last week's message about about how we are God's chosen, we are his and he loves us, what makes that so radical and so mind-blowing is not just that, it's because of who we are at our core. And that's the truth. The truth says that we're sinners. At the core of who we are, In everything, we are selfish people who look out for ourselves all the time. But because of God's grace for us, despite that truth, he loves us anyway. But there has to be that balance. We can't talk about one without talking about the other. And if I'm being totally honest with y'all this morning, and I think I have so far, so why not, let's keep going. I think there's a tug of war going on within the church over those two truths. You have some churches that all they want to do is pound truth. You are a sinner. You are bad. You are this and all that stuff, right? And that's the message. And that's the truth, right? And then there's the other side. There's other churches who their only message is grace, right? And it's okay. It's okay. It just will accept you however you are. And that's all right. And there's no balance between the two on either side. And I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure which one is worse, there has to be a balance to understand that in Jesus there is grace, but the grace covers the truth that we need him. And if we don't understand the truth of who we are, then I'm not really sure what kind of savior we're worshiping in the first place. And there's the people that, that reject Jesus. We look in the mirror and say, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm okay. So I don't need a savior. But when we can look in the mirror and we see the truth of who we are and our predicament of our own self, then we can say very easily and surely, yes, I need a savior. And Jesus is it through his grace of who he was on the cross and who he is today in heaven interceding on our behalf. Amen? Amen. So I wanna look this morning at, at, um, first I wanna start with this quote. I'm totally ripping this off from a devotional I uh, did this week on the YouVersion app. And it's from D.A. Carson. And it says, it says this People do not drift toward holiness. Say that again. People do not drift toward holiness. Y'all got me? Apart from grace driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. Can you holla? <sighs> it's the truth. It's not always easy to hear. What he's saying there basically is, is who we are as people, we don't, naturally, we don't naturally drift towards the good things of God. That's why the Bible says pursue righteousness. Run the race. Don't jump in the, in the river and just drift towards it, right? Our faith is not a tubing down the itchituckney. all right? If anything, it's swimming against the current of the river. We don't drift towards holiness. We don't drift towards righteousness. It is a decision that we have to make every single day throughout the day to pursue the things of the Lord because our own nature says go this way. When Jesus says, go this way, why? Because the truth is is that we are sinners at our core. But the grace says, I got you, you can follow me. I've made a different way for you to go. But if we think for a second that we can just show up at church and hear a sermon and some awesome worship, and that is going to dictate the rest of our week where we can just drift towards God, we are mistaken. And I'll be the first one to admit it. I had, to, I had to drive in this morning and I hate when I have to do this, but I had to repent the whole way in because I have not spent hardly any time with the Lord this week. That that devotion, that quote from that devotion, that was the one I did. I was being honest with y'all. That was it. I made time for other things, but I didn't make time for the Lord. I wasn't, drift, I wasn't drifting towards him. I didn't make any conscious effort, any decision to pursue with everything that I am, the things of the Lord. And if, again, we think that that's who we are, We're wrong, all of us. This morning, I wanna talk about repentance. And we're gonna have a time to respond later, but I wanna talk about the need for it, and I wanna talk about what it looks like and why we do it. Because in a lot of ways, repentance, and I don't, well, it's the enemy, has made repentance taboo in the church. And I will make it a point, y'all, to bring repentance up in a sermon or dedicate an entire sermon to it all the time because we have to be reminded of it. Why? Because we don't drift towards it. We have to pursue it. We have to make the decision to do it. And I want to, before we get you know too deep into it, I wanna look at the story of Joseph and his brothers. We did a series on Joseph a little less than a year ago and you can you can go watch those on our website too if you want to. But the context of what's happening here is when Joseph was growing up, he was the favorite in the family and his brothers hated him. It says that they could not say a kind word to him. I mean, they despised him, but it wasn't so much because of who Joseph was, but it was because of who their father was and how the father loved Joseph more than all of them. And he was very open about it. And so they decided to, to sell Joseph into slavery. And 20 years go by and they are, they are filled with guilt and shame. It even says so that, that when things go bad in their life, they said, this must have happened because of what we did to Joseph. So they've been carrying this guilt around with them for 20 years. Charles Swindoll says that a guilty conscience leads to negative thinking. And they've had negative thinking all this time because they've had this guilty conscience over what they've done. They've never gone to the Lord and repented over what they did. So 20 years go by. And then they have this encounter with Joseph and and there's there's more to that story, but they have this last encounter with him. They don't know who he is. And then all of a sudden, it comes time for him to reveal himself to his brothers who sold him into slavery to a land that he didn't know, a language he didn't speak. For all they knew, he was dead and they didn't care. And this is the scene of what happens when all comes to light. It's Genesis 45, starting in verse one. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Verse three, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Listen, y'all, when we approach the Lord, when we approach the Lord and and confess our sins and repent to him, it it is a very vulnerable thing to do. And what we need to understand in that time, Jesus is saying, I am Jesus. Just like Joseph says who he is. They don't really even know who Joseph is yet. They know that he's his brother, but they don't know about the man that he's become, the man of God that he is. And it's like he's saying, listen, I'm Joseph." And in the same way, how much more when we approach God and he says, I am Jesus, that takes away what they have in that moment. It says they were terrified at his presence and we couldn't come to the Lord and we're terrified because we think we're going to be exposed. We think we're going to be shamed and embarrassed and punished and lightning is going to strike us because we've been walking around with a guilty conscience, which leads to the negative thinking. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm Jesus. I know that what you're saying is the truth of what you've done, but I am Jesus and I cover it with grace. There's the balance. He doesn't say, yeah, that's the truth. You're right. You deserve punishment. He says, you don't need to be terrified. I'm Jesus. And I'm going to cover you with grace. The story goes on to say in verse four, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves. I'm gonna say that part again. Do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. When Joseph tells his brothers, come close, and in the Hebrew, that, that has a double meaning. It's, it's come close physically, come close to me. Like bring, bring yourself to me. But there's a very figurative meaning to this word and it's, it's come close, you're safe. Come close for an for for a an embrace of emotion. Come draw near. It's like draw near to me. You don't have to be at a distance anymore. And it goes on to say in this in this story, we're not going to have it up on the screen, but it says after they did this, they embraced and he wept as he hugged Benjamin. And it says all the brothers talked. I love that line. It's like for the first time in all of their existence, even going back to their childhood, for the first time ever, all the brothers are finally family. Why? Because there is true restoration. There is repentance and there is forgiveness and that brings relationship. That allows them to come close and that is what we don't get about repentance. When we, when, when we hear about it, we wanna resist because we think if we say anything, to the Lord about what we've done and the sins that we've committed, that's gonna cause separation. No, it causes relationship. It's Jesus saying, hey, I'm Jesus, come close. You don't have to be terrified. You You can take that guilt, you can take all of that away. I have you covered by who I am and the grace that I give, but we have to bring our truth to him. We can't hide it away because we're ignoring the truth of who we are. Jesus is the only one that has ever perfectly balanced truth and grace. We try and there's moments where you know our truth rises up over people and we just ah you know and we want to be gracious with them but we just fail. Or we go the other way and we bend And we're too gracious and we ignore the truth, right? Jesus was perfect in it. And I want to look at a specific chapter in Matthew that shows both of these things so perfectly of who Jesus was. I'm going to start with the truth first. And that's in Matthew 11, starting in verse 20. This is Jesus talking, y'all, okay? This is Jesus talking. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not... Repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago and sat cloth in ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom it would have been, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Wow, that is heavy. Jesus is not mincing words here. He's using that same word, woe, to these towns that saw all these miracles. These these are the towns that saw more miracles than any other place. And he's saying, woe to you. That same word that he says to to the Pharisees when he is calling them out. Woe to you, you hypocrites. Woe to you, you brood of vipers. That same word, woe to you. You saw what I could do more than anyone else. You saw my power and you didn't do anything with it. You never repented. You see, when we encounter Jesus, our first reaction should be to fall on our knees and say, Father, forgive me. Not because we feel like we have to, but because we want to because we are in the presence of the most high God. And we are faced with who we are. So we drop to our knees and say, Father, forgive me, forgive me. And when we do so, he is faithful and just to forgive us. He does it, why? Because the truth is we need forgiving, but the truth is also he's gracious to forgive. There is that balance all the time. And if I can get again on my soapbox a little bit for a second this morning, y'all just bear with me. I read this and I think about these towns that saw the power and the miracles of Jesus. And I wonder, Lord, is that us? Is that America? Where we have all the freedom in the world to worship you openly Without threat, we, to the point where almost every church in this country literally live streams on the internet for anyone in the world to see what we are doing, we actually broadcast it. And I wonder if Jesus is saying, woe to you. What are you doing with the freedom that I have given you? Are you calling your freedom disobedience? Are you calling it tolerance? I have given you all of me. You can buy Bibles in bookstores at the mall. You can carry it around on your phone, wherever you go. And all you're interested in are the goosebumps on Sunday mornings. Y'all, we got to do better. God has given us, he has given us the freedom to worship on Sunday mornings with churches on every street corner that advertise our service times. Are we repenting? Are we saying, Lord, I'm sorry? Because we need to, and this is not a beat, I'm not trying to beat any of us up in here, okay? I'm not. But I am trying to make us aware that when we read these words in Matthew 11, that we can say, Lord, that ain't me. I know for a fact that ain't me. That with what you've given us, I am giving back to you. I'm saying, here are my mess ups, God, and I'm gonna repent. That's what he says, woe to you because you didn't <laughs> repent. We gotta take it seriously. And the reason Jesus says this, is because eternity is a serious thing. This world that we're living in, there's serious things going on. And we don't, even, we don't even see it, y'all. But we gotta get on our knees. We've got to get on our knees. But check this out. He, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't end it there. Four verses later, four verses later in Matthew 11, he says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. What do you mean gentle and humble heart? You just said, woe to you, all these towns, right? Gen- yes, yes. I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So is the truth of Jesus' message intense? Yes, but his grace is so intense as well. So he says, woe to you. And that, whoa, that's a deep anguish. It's a a regret because you didn't repent. But if you come to me, and we we read this verse in the context a lot of times of of when life is hard, you know, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened for you will find rest. Because life has, has just been very difficult. And I believe that's true. But listen, at the same time, I don't believe anything makes our hearts more burdened than an unrepentant heart. Because, what we do is we carry that thing, whatever it is in us, that by the way, is not even close to too big for God to forgive you for. And we carry it around and every day that burden gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And as the burden increases and that weight increases, we get more weary and more weary and more weary. And so we we draw back. We stop praying, we stop getting in the word, we stop going to church, we stop worshiping because we're just too weary from the burden that we are carrying when Jesus all along is saying, come to me, come close. You don't have to be afraid. I want to embrace you. I want to hug you. I wanna take that burden off of you. I nailed it to the cross. What are you doing carrying it around anyway? That is the grace of Jesus, y'all. Can you be so brave and obedient to fall on your knees? and say, Father, forgive me. Here it is. James, I've tried that. It didn't work. I kept messing up, doing the same thing over. Keep at it. Keep at it. If you are struggling with the same thing over and over again, if you have any sort of addiction, whether it's alcohol, drugs, pornography, I don't know, I don't care what it is. If you keep going to the Lord with it over and over, he will deliver you. He will break those chains. You just got to keep at it. You just got to keep at it. You keep falling on your knees saying, and being honest, y'all, listen, if you're going to do it, don't say, Father, forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. What? Like what sins? Let's get specific here. Let's get real, all right? This is just the Lord in you. This is just the Lord in me. And we can trust him. Take those things that have been buried in your heart that have been so dark and are weighing you down and you're getting so tired of putting that brave face on. I know there's some of us in here that that that's happening too. I know it. The smile is getting harder and harder to put on. It's time that you let it go. Stop being terrified of a God who is full of grace and who will forgive you. Thank you, Jesus. Do you trust him enough to come close to him? I want to read this out of Matthew chapter 27. This is a story of Judas, the disciple who betrayed Jesus. Starting in verse 1, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and return the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Verse 4 says this, I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Here's the thing. Judas went to the wrong people to confess his sin. He told the Pharisees. Isn't it amazing how we can confess our sins to several people around us, but never actually tell Jesus, Oh, I did this wrong. What are you telling me for? I did not die on the cross for you. And I would not die on the cross for you. I love you, but there's limits, y'all. Jesus died on the cross for you so that you could tell him. Judas went to the wrong guys. And this is their reaction. Y'all, this is, I say this in my Bible class every year. This is the best illustration of the voice of the enemy because the voice of the enemy is in our ear and tempts us and tempts us and tempts us and tempts us and then we cross that line of temptation we are just like Judas filled with remorse and regret and we want to do anything in our power to take it back and we can't and this is what the enemy says after the temptation has happened after he has said all these things about how great life is going to be and you're going to be satisfied with this and all those things and then regret comes the enemy says just what they says what is that to us that's your responsibility so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The ultimate the ultimate result of unrepentance is death. That is what the devil wants. He wants to steal, kill and destroy us. It is why it is why he tries to make it so hard for us to repent. Because he knows The more that we carry around, whether we hang ourselves or not, on the inside, we're dying. Repentance is freeing. It is freeing, but it is not something that we drift towards. It is a decision that we have to make all the time. And I I always wonder, you know, what if, what if Judas had gone to Jesus and he had said those words, those same words that he said to the Pharisees? What if he had said them to Jesus? You know what I believe Jesus would have said? He said, Judas, I'm Jesus. Come close to me. And then Judas would have heard the three words that he was so desperate to hear in those moments before he killed himself. You are forgiven. That's what he would have heard. A rope did not kill Judas. It was a lack of understanding of what repentance was that did. He didn't get it. He didn't understand who Jesus really was. He didn't understand the grace that Jesus had for Judas. He was only wrapped up in the truth of what he had done. There's a balance. There is a balance. And we cannot expect, and we cannot afford the luxury of even thinking that we can drift towards repentance. We need to lead the charge, y'all. We're waiting for our leaders to do it. We're, late, we're, we're waiting for the world to do it. And Jesus is telling the church, y'all are the ones that know me the best. Why aren't you doing it? And we need to be. We need to be for the church. We need to be for our country. We need to be for the world. But ultimately, we need to for ourselves because God wants more for us. He wants our relationship to grow with him. Because though at the core we are sinners, we are also set free. And we are no longer slaves. Just like we sang about this morning, we are no longer slaves to fear. Sin causes fear. But we've been set free, so why don't we act like it? Why don't we act like it? I'm going to have the band come back up, and I just want to read a few more verses on repentance for y'all that are in the Bible. Just a few, because there's a lot we could be here for a while. Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Everyone say refreshing. Refreshing. Anyone in here need to be refreshed? How does it happen? Through repentance. Repent so that times of refreshing may come. Not times of guilt and shame. Not times of, of punishment and exposure. Repentance brings Refreshing. Did y'all hear me on that? Yeah. All right. Repentance brings refreshing. Second Chronicles 30 and 9, uh, verse 9. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. He's gracious and he's compassionate. When we go to him, he will be compassionate with us. Matthew 3, verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Hmm. That's an interesting one, right? God, I just want to bear fruit. I want to bear fruit. I want to bear fruit. Okay, repent. That's what Jesus said. You know who he's talking to there? The Pharisees. Surprise, surprise. If you want to bear fruit, repent. That's the importance of repentance. Matthew 9, verse 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, we try and act like we're not sinners and Jesus is saying, that's who I came for. I'm about the sinners. I have dinner with the sinners. That's who I came for. We have it so backwards sometimes. That is who Jesus came for. And we try and say, that's not me. I'm going to be the first this morning to say, that's me. That is me. And Lord, thank you that you came for me. I want to reread that. First quote this morning. People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to, uh, to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. Forgive us for that, Lord. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. I'm going to pray for us as we enter back into worship. You just stay seated until we start singing again, but I'm going to lead us in a prayer of repentance. And then I'm going to just ask us, I really believe this morning we're supposed to do this, or I'm just, I'm not just, just forgive me, Lord, for that. I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. Whether you're watching online at home or you're in here, and you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. This is your moment to bring those things that you've been hiding in your heart. Even as you sat in church and you heard these songs and it was just too much. This is your moment to just lay them at Jesus' feet where he is, he is literally in this moment to whoever in here or watching online that needs to hear this, he's calling you. And he's saying, come close to me, it is time. It is time. And if you've prayed that prayer before, say it again. The Lord does not grow tired of hearing us professing our faith to Him. I think it's music to His ears every single time that we pray. First, let me pray for all of us. Father, I thank you so much that you are gracious in the truth of the reality of who we are, Lord, that we are imperfect that we fail, we fall short, we neglect you, we shrink you down, we try and bend your righteousness and your holiness to fit our needs. God, we're sorry. Father, forgive us, forgive the church, Lord, Western church, Father with the freedoms that you've given us, Lord, the comforts that we have, we've gotten too comfortable and we've taken your sacrifice for granted. Forgive us, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us. God, that the example of Jesus being that perfect balance of grace and truth would be what we strive to be. God, that we would never get so obsessed with one side or the other, but we would understand it is two-part. That in, in truth, there is grace for all to begin, in their, begin and grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ here at Beaches Chapel and so many other places as well, Lord. God, I pray that as the church, we would stand united, that we wouldn't bicker and we wouldn't kick each other when we're down but that we would hold each other up. We would love one another and we would pray for one another. Lord. And we would be a church that takes full advantage of the freedoms that you've given us here to speak the truth in grace and always, always, always point people to the cross. Lord, give us wisdom on how to navigate these very difficult waters that we're in right now as a world. Forgive our leaders in this country for the mistakes that they've made, for the decisions that they've made that were not of you. God, we pray for our leaders right now. We pray for our president. God, we pray, Jesus, that you would shut every single door that is not of you. God, that you would open doors that is of you. Convict our president, Lord. Challenge him, Father, to lead this country in the way you would have it led. Surround him with godly men and women who would give godly counsel. And Father, forgive us. We have missed the mark on so many things, we've called disobedience freedom we've called compromise tolerance for far too long. And for that, Lord, we are sorry. Father, bring leaders who stand for you, who say the name of Jesus, not reluctantly, but unabashedly. Pray for our country. Pray for the world. Who celebrate the church. Celebrate you, Father. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Father. Have mercy on us. We fall on our knees, Jesus. We ask you to forgive us. We repent of all the wrongdoings. If y'all would just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came that you died and that you rose again for me. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that it's that simple, that your grace is sufficient for all of our wrongdoings, that you are in the business of making the old new, love you, Lord. There's that story in the, uh, I think it's John 8, in the New Testament, where Jesus is preaching. It's early in the morning, and the crowd is gathered, and the Pharisees bring the, the woman who's committed adultery before him. He like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And Jesus just starts to draw on the sand, you know, and then he finally says, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. It says, from the oldest to the youngest, they start leaving. And he asked the woman, he says, is anyone here that's left? She says, no. He says, go and sin no more. We need to be very careful as the church not to throw stones at anyone, but instead to pray, y'all. That's what we need to do. Not throw stones, but pray for our leaders, for the church, for the unchurched, and for each other. And then, go and sin no more. I love y'all. And I want the best for this place. I want the best for Beaches Chapel. I want the best for you and your homes and your families and your children. But it doesn't happen by acting like we have it all together when on the inside we are heavy burdened happens by falling on your knees and believing that when Jesus says, come close, he means it. So will you come close to him? Let's stand and let's worship.